Yo, Cother, it's been a minute. My name's Aeneas. And my name's Helena, and you're listening to Courtyard Radio. Hey, hey, you're listening to Courtyard Radio. Okay, guys, oh my goodness, we're finally back. We're finally yeah. back. <laughs> Holy moly, it's been quite a while. It's been like, I think the last time we posted an episode was like in the beginning of January or, or late December, something like that. It's been a crazy amount of time. You guys are probably wondering, where has Aeneas and Helena been? I know you guys missed us. We missed you too. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a while, yeah. It has been a while because like that last quadmester, I think it was quadmester two. Two you know a lot of work was happening and you know Helena and I couldn't really find a period of time to come together and record um, because we wanted to come together and make like a good like quality episode for you guys and it, d- it just didn't work out during that time and then we finally got together to make this episode okay yep. listen to this guys we got together to make this episode all of a sudden my internet starts acting up one of the guest internet starts acting up and we record this online. Like, it's not like we come in like a common place and record this podcast. We do this all online. Yeah. <laughs> and my internet just started acting up and like I got kicked out of the meeting five times. You know, my, the, one of the guests got kicked out and it's like I ended up losing my entire recording. Um, the guest lost their record, like parts of their recording. And like, it was just, it was, man, it was really difficult. So and it was pretty much unsalvageable. So we had to like go, well, not me, but Aeneas, the superstar guys, I'm not even kidding, had to go <laughs> and redo so much stuff. And, you know, that's why it took so long because the editing process for that is just brutal. Like, and going through like over two hours worth of footage yeah, and trying to remember what you were saying and like <laughs> trying to fit that all back together in bits and yeah. scrambles is just... Like, round of applause for Aeneas, really. Because I was literally like, I don't know how we're going to be able to post this episode. And then he's like, wait a second, I'll do this. I'm assuming that the audience is clapping for me right now because yeah, you know, I deserve they, it. They better <laughs> not, not to gloat or anything, not to gloat. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm done. I'm done gloating. I'm not gloating. I'm not, I'm not narcissistic, don't worry. But anyways, yeah, that was difficult to do. Um, it's been, like, weeks since we actually recorded this episode. Yeah. Um, well, at least the part with the, our guests. And I've just been spending a lot of time trying to figure out how I wanted to record things and put it together. But I finally got it together. And um, now we're recording the intro. I know this is kind of weird, but you know, that's how we're doing things. Um, it is nice to be back finally with you guys. Happy to be back. Yep. Okay. So today, what you'll be hearing, but really was talked about. <laughs> quite long ago um, was the event that transpired at the Capitol and kind of surrounding that issue and all the controversy. Um, But gradually we actually delved into more social and political issues. So I really hope you guys enjoy this. I know the information is a bit late, but it is still so valid today. And I think there's just more that keeps on coming up. You know, there's more conversations that need to be had. And this is just an example of an incident which may have transpired quite a while ago, but still plays heavily on the minds of those today, right? It's not like you can just erase what happened. Like, that was literally shocking. And this is, you know, coming from the point of view of a Canadian, right? Mm -hmm. I can't imagine for those who feel very attached to the situation emotionally, how that must be. Yeah. And I think uh, 
you know, from my memory, even though it was a while ago since we recorded this, I think that this was a really good conversation, a really good episode. Yeah. Um, we got into a lot surrounding that topic. And I think it was, I think it's, it was a necessary conversation. Like Helena said, despite the fact that we're Canadians. So yeah, we got our guests, Mona, we got Frida and we got Louisa. So those are the guests you're going to be listening to. And I hope you enjoy the conversation. Yo, so we've got Mona, we've got Frida, we've got Louisa on this very special episode here today. Um, we're happy to have you guys on here. What's good? How are you guys doing? How's life? Good. No, doing pretty good. Doing pretty good. Today's actually been pretty eventful. Um, this week has been pretty eventful. I'm excited to work on this episode with you. And that's how I'm doing today. What about you, Mona? Um, thanks for passing it along. So actually, it's been... <laughs> It's actually, um, you know, it's been a stressful month because I've had a lot of applications due, but, you know, we're hanging in there, starting my new courses. Um, yeah, but we started on the right foot and, you know, the grind don't stop until the year's over. So, yeah. What about you, Louisa? Last but not least. <laughs> um, I've been super busy with schoolwork and final projects. So um, I'm super excited to have a much more chill quadmester because my last one was like crazy. So... Yeah, I'm super excited to be on here, though. Yes, so we're going to actually start by doing a little game, which we always kind of do before episodes, just to warm everybody up for conversation and get the flow going. Um, and Aeneas is actually going to introduce our fun little game today, so take it over. All right, so I, I know the audience is really familiar with this section. I know the audience loves this section, you know, because this is the little part where, you know, like Helena said, we... We were a little light with it and we play a little game to warm up for, you know, the whatever topic is to come later on in the episode. And before what we normally did was um, Two Truths and a Lie. And that was like the staple for every single episode that we did. Um, but, you know, since we took a little hiatus and um, we're pretty much starting over with a season two kind of thing, quote unquote, this is not actually real, but you know, I'm just calling it a season two just for fun. Okay. Yeah. Um, we decided to kind of like change it up and, um, you know, this is not like any sort of like, oh my God, this is such a sick game or like revolutionary, but we decided to switch it up. And what we're going to be doing is riddles. <laughs> we're, <Yeah. laughs> we're just, we're, we're going to be doing riddles. So, I mean, uh, I'm just going to start right off the bat with the first riddle. Um, I'm not going to give you guys any crazy hint, but I mean, there is a hint that I could give you, although I'm not that generous, so you're not going to get it. <laughs> okay, let's go. During which month do people sleep the least? That's it. That's the riddle. Bro, come on. Um. <laughs> is everything all right over there, guys? Was that too heavy for you? We're thinking. I'm trying to process that. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna go ahead and put my guess in as March because it's Groundhog. That's when Groundhog Day is in March. I would say December because it's like winter weather. You know the seasons are changing. Don't we have that like clock thing where we get less sleep? Um, the solstice. Yeah. No, not the solstice. Um. Daylight savings. Yes, yes. That. that. Um, so I'm, I'm kind of feeling that. I feel like if whatever month that is in, I think it's December. All right, all right. We're racking up those answers. What about you, Mona? What do you think? 
Um, I'm gonna have to say February because it's it has the least days, you know, not on leap years, of course. Less days, which means less hours of the night. I think it's June. Because <laughs> that's when the summer solstice is. Okay, so we're like going two different angles, kind of like summer solstice versus. Oh wait, I was talking about daylight savings. I think. Yeah, you were talking about daylight savings. <laughs> All right, so somebody actually did get the answer for this question, and that person is Mona. What did I say? What did I say? She said February, and that is correct, because February is the month with the least amount of days, and so logically, it's also the month that people sleep the least in. What did I say? Mona, you're so smart. Thank you. I'm a very logical thinker, you know? (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) Okay, so we're done with the first round. Props to Mona for getting that one. She's out here thinking on another level. But that was just the first round, though. We still have another riddle to go. Let's see if anybody else can get this one. So you gotta, you gotta pay attention. Listen to what I'm about to say, okay? Listen carefully. I have no doors, but I have keys. I have no rooms, but I do have a space. You could enter, but you could never leave. What am I? A piano. That is really smart. That is really smart. You can enter a piano? Mm-hmm. I actually love that idea. Because it's the correct answer. Keys? I'm confident. Like a keychain. Okay, Farida, I see you. I, li- I like the thought process behind <laughs> that. You. I see you, I see you. Um, I'm going to say a box. Does a box have what keys? What does a box have keys? Oh, <laughs> wait a second, bro. An accordion. <laughs> Can I, uh, I think my guess is going to be a keyboard. Like, not a piano keyboard, but a laptop keyboard, maybe. Oh, yes. And it has keys. Wait! I think you're right. And it has a space. And it has a space. Mona, you're on a roll. Mona, you are Mark. getting some dubs in here. That's all I have to say to you. I think it's those science courses, guys. Okay. Anyways. <laughs> Well, needless to say, Mona got the answer. That is actually correct. It is the computer keyboard. Yep. <laughs> that was that was really good. Like, Mona's just out here kicking her butts, man. Like, first riddle, second riddle. Like, Thanks, guys. she's doing it with such ease. Like, oh, cool. I, I mean, Frida was close. Like, she said piano. Which is- yeah, that was really smart. I was, that's really Thanks, smart, guys. Though. Thanks for the pity. Thank you. I, I really <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, that was a nice way to start things off. A nice butt whooping from, from Mona. <laughs> and uh, now we're gonna, that's, that butt whooping is going to lead us into the actual topic, which is the event at the Capitol with Trump. So let's actually start talking about that because that's why we're here. This is going to be a very, you know, touchy subject or whatever because there's a lot of controversy involved and stuff like that but we're going to we're going to see here and actually going to talk about it so just to start i want to ask you guys this question do we all agree that trump was at fault yeah oh 100% yeah definitely i don't think it's just him though i think it was multiple people but at the center of it and the person who had the most influence was donald trump he told them to riot yeah. He specifically told them at the rally that he held right near the Washington Monument, he told them to go to the Capitol. A hundred percent. But I feel like it definitely had the support of a lot of Republican senators. So it was like 
this mass idea perpetuated by Trump, but then garnered so much support because people like literally thought that they were like fighting for their lives or something. And it looks really dumb when you look at it from the actual like standpoint of watching the footage. But at the moment they were like, we're, we're going to start a revolution. And like, they had this whole idea, I think in their head that they were doing something so good when in reality it wasn't. I just want to point out that if these people were Antifa or Black Lives Matter protesters or any part of any other civil rights activist groups, there would have been so much more violence against them. It would have been gunned down and completely just like, I don't know, there would have been so much bloodshed. They would have been beaten up. They would have been arrested. So, well, not that some of the rioters weren't arrested, but, um, but these are fascists and they managed to reach the steps. This is a prime example of white privilege in America. The fact that far-right extremists are attempting to overthrow their own government because their candidate lost in a fair election, and the fact that they're able to do so in the first place shows exactly how broken and hierarchical American society really is. Yeah. 100%. Well, that, I feel like, goes back to the idea of kind of what I wanted to ask all of you. How do you think the influence of white supremacy has really... It's been an ongoing issue, during all of Trump's presidency, not only then, like white supremacy has existed within America and everywhere in the world for ever. But why do you think it was so stimulated during his presidency and really leading up to the events of the Capitol? And what do you think about all that? And what do you think of the association of kind of supremacist groups? During the rallies, there were a lot of um, different groups that were there. And one of them were a group called the Proud Boys, and these people are considered to be a terrorist group. And weeks before that, all these people raided the Capitol, um, they were responsible for like literally so much destruction that happened during the Black Lives Matters movement. They've been known to literally light Black Lives Matters flags on fire, and they've done so many terrible things throughout you know, the past literally six months alone. And when they were basically like leading this rally and this riot and they were going in and and causing so much destruction, I feel like everybody just kind of let them loose because they were such a big group of people. And obviously because they were white, they didn't get any, like any consequences that somebody of like a person of color or somebody that was creating a peaceful protest would have gotten. Um, yeah, so I completely agree. Of course, everything you guys said is very valid. And like, actually, before hopping on this episode, I was looking at Canada's lists of terrorist organizations and the Proud Boys are the third or fourth last um, group listed on that list. And you see complete wow. every other group was people of color. Um, and it's just really frustrating to see because it's because they've recently caused so much terror like you guys said in the blm protests and in the riots that happened in the capital the topic of today's discussion and it's just it it, it is really frustrating to see that like although the media is getting better at like calling it as what it is which is domestic terrorism they still haven't been you know um held accountable for their actions and they haven't been uh given consequences for all the terror that they've caused all over america and you know canada as well so yeah, Mona, that's facts. And I think that the reason why they were able to do what they did, um, you know, the riots and all that, not only the Proud Boys, but like all the rioters, I think the reason why they were able to do that is because they weren't afraid of the consequences. 
like you said, you were talking about consequences. I don't think they were afraid of that. And I think it's because, you know, they had the full support of the acting president at that time. Um, you know, Donald Trump is very unique in the sense that he's very open about his controversial ideas. Um, you know, he goes on Twitter and he says whatever he has to say, regardless of the possible consequences. And so I think that those rioters felt as though they were going to lose that type of president and they felt like they needed to you know fight for their country so you know I think that's what enabled them to do that and you know if I'm to tie this back to the question that Helena was asking about why supremacism was so prevalent during that time um, and during those riots I, I think it's because again um, you know Trump enabled them to be that open about those ideas yeah for sure yeah and I think another point to really touch on is the hypocrisy that comes from these people because these are the kinds of people that love to preach law and order and um, patriotism. So it's really like it's really also like important to understand that they they sit they sit there and they call BLM protests um, violent and they say all these things about um, these movements that are fighting for positive change, but the hypocrisy in their voices and the hypocrisy in their actions just really speaks a lot about what they truly believe and do they really believe in law and order because if they did they wouldn't be breaking down buildings and you know creating violence so it really just shows that they they proved that they didn't believe in anything they were even preaching about to begin with right exactly exactly all right so i want to segue into the speech that donald trump made um before the events of the capitol so um, you know, that we could see like some some of the things that he said, because I think that that's a that's a very important aspect of, um, you know, what followed, which is obviously those riots. Um, so I'm going to read a couple of quotes from what he said. Um, he said that the elections were and I quote stolen by the emboldened radical left, stolen by the fake news media. And he also said, if you don't fight like hell, you're not going to have a country anymore. Um, and so it's, you know, one would definitely say that those words helped to influence the, the events that followed. Um, and so, yeah, I just wanted to ask you guys, how do you think in general, the choice of words that Donald makes, how does that influence the way that his followers react, consequently leading to events like what happened at the Capitol? What do you guys think about that? So I personally think that um, as we discussed before, um, Trump basically is responsible for all of these things that happen at the Capitol. But at the same time, he's also very, like, he is the person who pushes these people from turning into, like, they, he turns them from supporters into just bigger groups of white supremacists. And it's like, I don't know if he means to do that. Or I don't know if that's his intention, but I'm pretty sure he is. Because even though I personally don't agree with his views and I don't agree with any of the actions he's taking, I do definitely think that he's a very smart man who knows exactly how to deliver what he wants to deliver. And he does not mess up a single word. Like, he knows exactly how to get what he wants from people. And people like that. People, if they agree with him they will support him, which is basically just how everything works. So I personally think the way that he speaks to his supporters and the way that he speaks to America in general, just his tone and the way he views certain people and the way he addresses either women or people of color or white people, the way he changes his tone towards every group of people really changes the way that people respond to him. So just as an example, 
Um, speaking of his tweets before his Twitter literally got deactivated because he was so bad at managing his, his tweets and managing at what he had to say to the public. Um, I think this this tweet was basically going around on how he addressed the two different, um, like things that were going on. So when he uh, was addressing people, um, that were raiding the Capitol, he just told everybody, he's like, thank you for your love and support. Everybody, please turn around and go home. God bless you. That's literally how he addressed the white people. But then when it comes to, then again, I'm sorry, I keep going back to this point, but if he comes back to people of color and um, all the protests that were happening back in May, I mean, he would call people names like thugs and, you know, he would he would label it as destruction and looting. So I just definitely think that the way he approaches people either draws them in or completely just makes people absolutely despise the way he thinks and the way he acts. Yeah, he speaks to evoke certain reactions. Yeah, exactly. To build up from that, essentially in um, fascist, I guess, strategies to obtaining the favor of their people, they tend to villainize urbanization and the globalization of industries. So in this case, um, especially in America, And even in any country, urban cities will have the majority, if not all of the people of color, um, people, LGBT people, um, immigrants, every single minority that lives in that country will most likely decide to reside in urban cities, which fascist Mm -hmm. politicians see this as a threat to people that live in central states. So that's... That basically explains how Donald Trump got um, the majority of central states to vote for him, because those are mostly farmers. Those are mostly Republicans who live in like perfect suburbia, yeah. who have not been exposed to urban cities or urban environments. Basically, urban cities will most definitely have more democratic views because they support globalization and mm-hmm. egalitarianism and internationalism more revolution of the working class or like these what so-called radical ideas which are usually only to support human rights so what he'll do is villainize the left or not even the left but anybody who agrees with him in the slightest or even anybody who doesn't look like him so i look like him i mean like women i mean um people of color i mean openly feminine people so maybe gay people maybe lesbian people i don't know Anybody who doesn't look like him, anybody who doesn't agree with him or his ideologies, he sees these people as anti-American and anti-patriotist. So he'll villainize them and see them as the public enemy. So what he'll do to his supporters is he'll try to, I guess, in a way, brainwash them into turning on their own population. Right. Mm -hmm. And essentially, he's done this to the majority of the American population because he lost the popular vote, meaning the majority of the population voted for Biden. So he's going against the majority of Americans, right? He's only an American to white supremacists, and that's it. And it's clear that those are his intentions because of what Farida said, the way he addresses his supporters versus the way he addresses Democrats. Mm -hmm. So like Farida and you, Louisa, were really saying, um, this kind of also got me thinking about Canada, too, because I think it's important to acknowledge this. Um, And what are the similarities and differences, really, between 
Canadian patriotism and U.S. patriotism because really you've, although it's much more um, evident right now um, in the U.S., there is, of course, uh, both similarities and differences within Canada and the U.S. So, Yes, um, I feel like the relationship between the U.S. and Canada is so funny to me because I feel like Canada is always all up in the U.S.'s business and we follow their politics so passionately and we're always judging and, you know, just making a laughing stock of them. But it's actually funny because Canada struggles with so much racial discrimination and so much, like, how do I put this? We also struggle with a lot of homophobia and sexism and um, just discrimination against uh, people with disabilities or anything like that um, but yeah. I, I don't know why it's just not talked about at all like we're always just so focused on what other major countries are doing like what's going on in, in the United States that sometimes we forget to focus on the real issues that are happening in this country and the and I know we're, we're supposed to be focusing on specifically one group of people but the discrimination that we have here against indigenous people is ridiculous like I remember I would sit in grade nine geo, like in my first year at mm-hmm. Kothra, and I would sit there and listen to what my teacher would say. And I was like, this is unbelievable. Like this is, and she wouldn't, it would be like the tip of the iceberg. And she would talk about the treatment and what people of Canada and what our own government is doing. And people just love to be like making jokes and be like, oh, I would love to move to Canada. And, I would, and of course, yeah, Canada is a great country. And I'm not saying that the racism levels are as high as the United States. I'm just saying that racism here is very evident and I feel like a lot of people just tend to ignore that therefore the problem gets pushed aside and I feel like we should focus more on what's going on in Canada as well so I like for you how you brought up um the idea of our investment into U.S. politics and disregarding Canadian politics which leaves groups who are being discriminated against unaccounted for and really it's this idea of extremism I feel like in conjunction with patriotism because it isn't that Canada has a lack of like um, issues such as the U.S. Like we obviously, like you were saying, have issues regarding racism, homophobia, transphobia, sexism, and like gender roles and all these really big issues. But it's the fact I feel like that it isn't as popularized as it is in the U.S. Yeah, exactly. But also in that sense, it is also I feel like a tactic of. Canadian politics like and I'm not trying to say that the Canadian government is trying to you know make us believe that Canada is perfect but in a sense it's also like you were saying Frida also so many issues um that I've also read upon about indigenous peoples in Canada's experiences and also presentations uh that former uh black students of Cawthra were giving about their treatment at our own school so it's evident that there are these underlying issues And so I don't know if somebody wants to speak on that also. Yeah, so essentially every single issue, like there's no race for what problem is a bigger problem right now. There isn't. Because in the end, everybody deals with a different form of oppression, whether you belong to um, a specific, or whether it's in your workplace, whether it's in your social life, whether it's an institutional thing. Everybody deals with some form of discrimination. Yeah. And that depends on your society, except for if you are benefited by that specific society. In these types of 
very right-wing politics, they will tend to globalize their efforts. So in order to expand their viewpoints to other countries, that's why America is such a huge concern right now to Canadians, because first of all, we're right beside them. It's we're right. We're right here. Right. Coronavirus, like the way Trump dealt with coronavirus was such a big deal here because we're one border away. Right. You could have like borders don't have to necessarily be open in order for us to feel that shockwave in our country. You know what I mean? The thing is that like it doesn't always have to be a patriotism thing to support your own country or or to even not talk about your own country while talking about another country. It's yeah. not it's not insensitive for me to say like oh I care about American politics just as much as I care about Canadian politics. Yeah. It's not because in the end I'm being affected by American politics as well. I'm being affected by every single political decision made globally, including in this country. However, yes, I agree that we should be, I guess, centralizing our efforts to the ones that we have or are dealing with right now, which in this case are the spread of literal fascism across um, Western society. It's, it's crazy because we support freedom, but in the end, we're the ones that are, I guess, destroying it as well. Definitely. Mona, did you want to speak on that? Um, yeah, I think American politics affects Canada in general. Like, if we look at laws that Trump put in place, like um, things like the Muslim ban, things like that, that affects people internationally, no matter what country, no matter what place. Like, America is a very yeah. powerful country, and there's every decision America makes is going to affect Canada. It's going to affect the entire world. And I don't want to bring in this topic because it is very... Um, sidetrack but if we if you look at um the palestine and israel conflict you can see how much of an effect america has on places in the middle east and me coming from the middle east like i'm from syria so every decision that trump has made in office not just trump obama every president before every american president has had a lot of effect on the middle east and that's something that i don't take lightly and that's why i always keep up with american politics because at the end of the day that affects my family that affects the people that i have back home and that's something I, I really want to stress like with the power they have they affect a lot of international laws and yeah so this year like this past few years Trump has has declared Jerusalem as the capital of Israel and that has had a huge effect on the Palestinian um, territory and on Arabs in general because we are losing land more and more as the years go on and as as more American presidents make rules and make laws in the Middle East and that's why I get really like emotional when people say like oh Canadians shouldn't talk about American politics but American politics affect the entire world I guess what I'm trying to say yeah for sure yeah I I definitely I want to agree with Mona and I do definitely agree that American politics Um, As of right now, America or the United States is leading the world and every single decision that they make affects every person in every part of the world. But what I want to make clear is that Canada's involvement with the U.S. is necessary because at the end of the day, just like Louisa said, we share a border and Mm -hmm. they are our neighboring country. But the only thing I do want to stress just to bring it back to Canada is sometimes um, our focus on American politics and on um, what is going on in the U.S., whether it's keeping up with the latest trends or, um, you know, like political, social, any of these events tend to derive from 
Canadian issues. So sometimes we get so caught up in what everybody else in the world is doing and we focus on all of the terrible things that's, that other countries' leaders are doing that we, like, they are a distraction to what our leaders are doing and what yeah. people like, you know, our, our Ontario Premier, like Doug Ford, all of the things that he c- continues to implement and has implemented ever since he got his position. Like, these are some things that we... Um, don't talk enough about like I, I, I we always have discussions in class about you know what Donald Trump is doing and all of the stuff which I think is definitely necessary and it is important but just as much as we talk about American politics I think it's really important to stress on the importance of Canadian politics you know what Farida I completely agree with you I completely agree with what you just said um, but I also think that that idea intermingles with what um, Louise and Mona were saying, I think that those ideas are, are completely compatible because, I mean, nobody's denying that um, the relationship between the United States and Canada is extremely important because it, it is. I mean, um, as you guys were saying, we share a border. And so it's important to pay attention to what's going on um, with our neighbors. You know, we got to we got to, you know, keep track of that relationship. That's um, very important for, you know, the Uh, stability of our own country Um, but at the same time it's like you know I think that it's possible to pay attention to United States politics to the point where we neglect ourselves and I I, I think that's harmful for our country Um, you know I think that there needs to be a balance between paying attention to our neighbors and paying attention to ourselves because I mean if we're paying attention to the United States then I think that kind of gives us Um, an excuse to neglect the issues which are happening here, you know, and it kind of goes unnoticed um, as, you know, everybody was saying this, like everyone already said this um, and it goes, it does go unnoticed because like if you're so busy paying attention to everything else besides yourself, then you're not going to understand the issues which are in your your own environment. Um, And, you know, I think it also starts with me because, you know, even for me, I would say that I understand United States politics more than I understand the politics of my own country. And, you know, I live in Canada. I live in Canada. And yet, you know, even to a certain level, I am neglecting um, the events which are happening in my own country. So I would say that it also starts with the citizens. Um, Mm -hmm. I think it's important that we make the decision to pay attention to the events happening in our own country. Um, and, <laughs> you know, this is going to sound kind of cheesy, but I think that, that this is kind of related to love. Because, you know, you know what they say? They say that um, in order to love others, you need to first learn how to love yourself. Yeah. And, you know, I've heard that so many, I've seen that so many times on, on the internet and, and wherever else. Um, and I think that's an exact parallel to this situation because, I mean, it's the same thing where, you know, trying to love others is detrimental if you have not first learned to love yourself. And I think it's the same in this situation. We got to first make sure that our own um, governmental issues here in Canada are regulated before we focus on the U.S. So I think that what Farida was saying and what Mona and Louisa were saying is they're compatible because there's a middle ground between those two ideas. So I completely agree with everything that's been said so far. That leads me to kind of questioning what stories um, in Canada get told and which don't. You don't have to say specific to Canada, um, but for example, like when I think about history and the women's suffrage movement in Canada, everybody recognizes that as, you know, 
the liberation of women and, you know, such a large step in female rights. And really that only included at the time, I think it only included like a specific group of uh, women, which was exclusively white women, but then also like wives of people at war and like specific, very, very, very specific groups. So it's like incidents like that where we recognize like, yes, like women finally got like the same rights that men did, not on the same scale, but to some degree, but we don't recognize that it excludes certain groups of people. So I just wanted to know if you guys want to bring light to any examples. It can be worldwide. Um, I was going to say maybe one country that I feel like should be talked about more, but once again, is not getting the media coverage it deserves. Um, I don't know. I thought it, I could talk about, you know, what's going on in China right now. I don't know if that's going to be a controversial issue or not. But um, just to give you like a very brief summary, um, it's a lot of discrimination. Once again, we're seeing um, discrimination against Muslims in China that are literally being put in concentration camps and being forced to go against something um, that's a part of their religion. And this literally the exact same thing happened a few decades ago um, in Germany when Hitler was, you know, in charge. And now it's happening all over again. So with all of the um, resources and media and all of these outlets that we have to, that we can use to our advantage are not being used. And if we're talking about how great of a country the United States is and how much power it has, and I know, like, I, we all know that these people are well aware of what's going on and everybody knows what's going on. But for some reason, I'm not seeing any action being taken. And like, yeah. it's easy for us to all just sit back and be like, okay, well, what are the world leaders going to do? But if we are not, if we don't take action, then who is going to take action? Like, and it doesn't, but at the same time, it's like, I'm contradicting myself because if these world leaders are not willing to step up and take action, which they 100% have the power to do, um, then what are we going to do? Like, there's no way that we can just invade their country and save everybody. Like, that's not how the world works. And that's not the way that it ever worked. Um, but for some reason, I just feel like it's because, once again, these group of people are seen as minorities. They're seen as um, people that don't deserve to be freed in a lot of people's eyes. And a lot of people do have sympathy for what Jewish people went through. But because these people are simply Muslims and they're viewed as terrorists and they've been um, responsible for a lot of uh, terrible things that have happened. I don't know why I put quotations on that a lot of terrible, period, a lot of terrible things that have happened in the United States. Um, and they're just viewed as a terrible terrorist group. And every single Muslim in the world is a terrorist in the eyes of the Americans and um, pe like ignorant people in the world. I feel like people are just not taking action because they don't care. Like, that's yeah, it. And the only thing I've ever, the only thing I've ever seen people do, which I honestly don't know how to feel about it, because it just a tiny thing is better than nothing but i'm being like dead ass with you right now like the only thing i've ever seen about this topic is people posting it on their instagram stories saying like save the muslims in china like that's literally it but have we ever yeah. seen justin trudeau or donald trump or any of these important world leaders have we ever seen any of these people talk about it or take action or at least spread awareness no so it just bothers me that's all so, um, this is branching off from what Farida said. 
it branches off to performative activism. And I'm sure this is a very popular term, so popular that has, it has gained so much popularity, especially in recent times since the killing of George Floyd. Um, people have been posting these black squares on their Instagram as if it's going to do something. As if that's going to do something. They've been telling people to sign petitions, but give no petitions to sign. They tell people to go protest, but they won't protest themselves. It's so crazy how us as civilians, as literal citizens, are doing more, or at least trying to spread awareness about these humanitarian issues more than our governments have been, right? It's up to us now to try to bring justice to these systems. I love how you brought that up and the idea of, you know, what activism really means to people. And it's kind of something I've even struggled with myself. Like, I'm going to admit it. This is so bad. And I literally, like, I didn't even realize my privilege and my mistake in doing this. When it was, um, like, everybody posted, like, Blackout Tuesday and, like, the black squares for BLM, I was a part of that. And I, like, the fact that I didn't see anything wrong with that was so horrible because I didn't educate myself. Like, I was just like, oh, my gosh this is like terrible. And now there's a movement. And then it wasn't a movement that at all favored anything. It was literally just putting a social media square on an algorithm, which doesn't do anything. So I really like, I had to take a step back, especially from social media and realize like what performative activism is. Cause I didn't even really know what the term was. And I felt like such a performative activist because I did sign the petitions that were all out there. Um, and I have been signing petitions um, for other social issues um, and injustices going on in the world. But it was the fact that I didn't need to be putting that out there because it did nothing. And so I took it down and then I had kind of this self-conscious moment where I was like, oh my gosh, why did I take that down? Like now it seems like I'm not supporting this, but that isn't like, that isn't it. Um, it's that, I don't want it to come across as me just caring because it's a trend. And once again, bringing it back to what Frida was saying about the um, Muslim concentration camps in China, like there are certain moments where I feel like posting on social media does raise awareness to issues. Um, when the Capitol incident went on, um, I was very outspoken about how horrible that was and if you need to wake up to reality and it was kind of, you know, just a very opinionated piece. But at the same time, it's crazy that we pick and choose what we put out there into the media. And I was signing petitions for the Muslim concentration camps and I've been doing a lot of research, um, but I didn't want to post, but I like, should I? And then it's kind of the struggle I deal with because I want to do so much but I feel like I don't want to be just that person who goes out and posts when it holds such significance to me. Like, and it's the idea of what people put out when subjects are, you know, trending and everything. And the idea of what Louisa was saying about performative activism and, you know, what we choose to put out there and what the government chooses to put out there and the structure of which these ideals fall upon. So, yeah. Yeah. Like, don't get me wrong like I like bro like I get what you're saying and it's always such a big dilemma because you're like okay like 
at, at one point, like, I don't want to seem like I'm doing it just for show. But at the same time, sometimes social media is the only way that you can actually yeah. get people to see the problems. When we're talking about people just doing this stuff for show, so many people come to mind. And it's like, now that you guys are pointing this stuff out, and you're saying it, it just all clicks in my head. I'm like, you know what, like, that's true. Like, sometimes people literally only do this stuff for their advantage. And now it's like, you're and anything you do, people will always find a reason to be upset at it. Okay, so we're not necessarily saying that, oh, if you're white, and you are trying to raise awareness, um, that you're doing something wrong, like, that's not what the motive is. It's just that it's the idea that most of the time when you when you are only posting and you're not taking action towards anything, it's you are just doing this for your image or for your reputation or to just follow what the rest of the people are doing. And it's not productive and it's not going to get you anywhere. And same thing like Blackout Tuesday. Like there are so many things that I could have done, but I didn't. So I did. You know what I mean? And yeah. I remember like it was a conversation one time I was having and someone was like, oh yeah, like this person didn't post for for Black Lives Matters, like what? And I was like, bro, like that's not the point of this whole movement. And like, if I donated something, why do I have to go and post it on my Instagram story? Like, hey guys, I just donated because that's none of your business. And the only thing yeah. is that I know what I'm doing is right. And if I think that I'm doing something to help somebody or to help a, a, a respectable cause, then I'm doing something right. And just because I'm not going around and I'm posting about it every two seconds, it doesn't mean that you're doing more than me or it doesn't mean that I don't care about the issue because I do. Yeah, yeah. And you know what? I completely agree with everything you're saying. And I think that the grand takeaway should be that we just need to be more genuine. Like, I think that we're not genuine enough. I think that many people, um, you know, base their support on a trend, you know, they see a trend happening and, you know, they follow the trend. But I think that issues are much more important than that. Like the the George Floyd issue, for example, just, you know, posting black squares is just a trend that only lasts for a period of time. But many times, you know, people just, you know, they post the black square and then after that it's over. It's like, did that did posting that black square do anything? No, not really. Right. And it's like, yeah, I understand that, you know, uh, trivial actions like that help to a certain extent because, you know, it raises awareness um, because, you know, you see a lot of uh, people posting black squares. You might be like, OK, what's going on? And then you might do some research and then, you know, you'd see what's going on. OK, I understand that. And, and so I'm not saying that it's completely useless. But what I'm what I am saying is that if your actions are not genuine, um, then I think it reduces the importance of uh, the issue. I think it reduces the importance of the cause that um, you're speaking about. And so I just think that people need to take the time um, and, and uh, you know, dedicate a little bit more effort to the causes that they support and be more genuine. I think that's extremely important. Yeah, love what you guys are all saying. It's back to that idea of motives and intentions. And, you know, as someone who is Cuban Canadian, but easily passes as white, sometimes I feel like I have a sense of white fragility. You know, I don't, I don't want people to see me as, you know, not doing something for causes I support. And then I realize and it's almost selfish motivation and I have to stop myself and I'm like, what am I talking about? And it's kind of like that sensitivity where I really do care about these topics, but I don't need to portray myself to anything that I care about them 
I need to research and I need to educate myself and I need to further my activism in a sense that is really benefiting society and not just my individual gain. I don't need to be posting on social media, although that is a contributor like we were talking about, it shouldn't be the first response to anything. It should be looking how you can actually help. If you can donate, if you can sign petitions, if you can, you know, write letters to the government, if you can do other things to raise awareness within the community, because your social media community is way smaller, unless maybe you're a social media star or something. I don't really know. I'm not, but um, that's just what I was thinking about. So if you've made it this far in the podcast, you are an absolute G. Thank you for listening um, because you are a witness to how much work was actually put into um, this episode to save the conversation. Um, like Helena and I said at the beginning, I mean, man, you know, there were a lot of technical difficulties when we were shooting this episode. Files were lost, you know, um, things had to be reset. Um, and so, you know, I'm glad that I was able to you know, put this together regardless of those issues. And I'm glad that you guys made it this far. So um, I think that this is a really productive conversation, like um, the actual conversation, even regardless of the the issues. Um, And, you know, I think a lot of good came out of it. So um, glad that you guys were able to listen to that. And I hope you enjoyed. Catch you next episode. Peace.